reflection of how we believe the gospel or what we believe of the gospel is directly reflected in the way we live our lives. What do we actually put at the center of our life because that's what's going to see our lives turn into. And so as we conclude today, we look at this conclusion of it, and, it, and it, sometimes you think, well, it's just the end of the book. There's really not much. He's just kind of signing off. It's just a formal benediction, but that's not what we find in Galatians. We, we see in his conclusion to this letter, we actually see the heart of the gospel being proclaimed again. It's like he's taking one last chance to preach his gospel, the true gospel, to the Galatian Christians. So if you will, follow along. We're going to be in Galatians 6. We're going to be in verse 11 all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 18. And so if you will, follow along as we read from God's Word. It says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For if even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. For now let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. If you will, let's pray, and we'll ask the Spirit to guide us through this today. Father God, we we come again before you as we we do each week, acknowledging that, that we are incapable of discerning your truth apart from your Spirit's help. God, that, that I am incapable of proclaiming your truth without your Spirit working through me and in me. God, and we just pray that today that your Spirit would move. God, that our lives would be changed because of the gospel that you've given us here. God, and we just thank you that you didn't leave us alone. God, we thank you that we don't have to just blindly walk around and figure out life, but you have given us what we need. God, I just pray that today that that would become evident to each one of us, God, that your truth would change our lives because we have centered ourselves upon it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we find is that while this is the conclusion of Paul's letter, we've been in this the last 17 weeks. It almost seems like it hasn't been very long, but at the same time, when you look at us, it, it's been quite a while going through Galatians. It's exciting to finish something. The, the conclusion, it's like we've, we've arrived at, at, at our goal. But what we see at the conclusion of Paul's letter is actually the beginning of what true religion looks like. You might have heard the phrase that it's not about religion, but it's about a relationship. And while that statement's true, it's not entirely helpful. Because if it is, then so what do you do with that? It offers no help. It offers no advice. It's really not truly accurate when we look at what the gospel says. And so what we find today is that when we truly understand the gospel, it's going to change our motivation. It's going to propel us into a relationship, and that relationship is what true religion looks like. It's not that religion's completely cast out, but it's perfected. It's not that it's completely done away with, it's just changed, and the motivations of our lives are changed, so then our worship is changed. 
And that's what true religion looks like. And so in fact, the heart of the problem is not religion or relationship, it's true religion or false religion. It's true worship or false worship. And if we want to truly understand those ideas, we've got to lay the foundation why we seek to worship anyways. Because we all worship something, and it's what John Calvin says, says the human heart's an idol factory. Every one of us from our mother's womb is an ex- expert in inventing idols. That, that every one of us, we worship something. We don't, we don't debate that fact. If we truly look at society, we all worship something. It's not the idea of worship that is questioned, but it's the object to the worship. And when you get down to it, there's really two options. We're, we're worshiping ourselves or what we do, or worshiping God. Because when we look at our lives, we all want to improve them, right? We want to change our life. We want to, we want to have a, a better life, right? We want to provide a better life for our children. We want to improve our lives. And the problem then is that we see that through this desire to improve or change our lives, that we need to go back to this idea that we need to be centered on the gospel. Because if we don't go back to that, then this idea of change then becomes centered on ourselves instead of the gospel. And so today we see this idea of this gospel-centered change. We see this idea that we have this gospel-centered change, and it's only when we see that true Christianity, which is rooted in the gospel, is what doesn't replace religion but perfects it. This Christianity defined by the gospel. And that's, in, that's what Galatians has been about. That's the, that's the entire book of Galatians. He's going back saying, no, here's the gospel. Go back to this. Center your lives on this gospel. And what he's doing is he's showing that here's how you truly worship. Because when you see the gospel, you see who we truly are and who God truly is. And so the first thing we see is that this change is inward. When we, when we look at this first passage, it's kind of funny. Because in verse 11, when you, see, you can see Paul's frustration. He's got to be frustrated. He, he knows these people. He, he, he lived with them. He taught them the gospel. And then he sees that they're falling away. And so in 11, verse 11, you kind of see this frustration. He's like, look what large letters I'm writing you. It's like, you could just see that. I always joke with people that, that if you're having to communicate something to someone that you need to type slow so they'll understand, this is the first century way of typing slow so they'll understand. It's like, look, how, look at these letters. He's emphasizing this. He's saying, look, I'm writing this by my own hand. He's not dictating it to a scribe. He's saying, look, this is important. He's emphasizing these last words, and what we see emphasized is the truth of the gospel again. And he's saying, if you haven't got it by now, maybe you'll focus on this. I'm going to write it big so you can understand. I'm going to see this, and you can see that he's frustrated, but he's frustrated because he so wants them to desperately find the truth of the gospel and quit being deceived by those who would come in and say it's changed, that it could be changed. And so he leaves his standard closing behind and instead takes one more chance to proclaim the gospel. Takes one more chance to show what true worship and true religion actually looks like. And that's what he says. That's what he continues in verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What we see there is what false religion looks like. It's, it's a religion and it's worship that's focused on the external expressions to the internal changes. 
It's religion based on that. These external expressions are not the means by which we are truly changed. But that's what these people were coming in and saying. They're saying, no, you have to be circumcised. You have to have this external sign in order to be truly saved. And Paul said, no. So all what they're doing is only so that they might not be persecuted. We, what we see here is, is Paul is once again telling the Galatians that, that true religion is marked by an inward focus. He's pointing out what the Judaizers, those coming in, were saying. He's saying that, no, they're coming in and saying you have to change all these external things. But no, it's an internal change. When we see this, we see their motivation. Why didn't they want to preach the gospel? Why did they want to change the gospel? It's because... When you proclaim the gospel, persecution comes. And that's what he's saying. He says, in order what? That they might not be persecuted for what? The cross of Christ. For resting on the truth of the gospel. Because what they're teaching has no offense because it has no gospel to it. So he's saying, if they're just trying to get you to change these external things, to add these outward expressions, it's so that they won't actually have these persecutions that happen because when you proclaim the gospel, the gospel is offensive to people at first. He's saying, so if you don't focus on that, then there's no persecution. So they want you to do all these outward things so they can see proof of this, and then it's easy. By focusing on those external expressions, they've successfully removed all the offensive material from the gospel because they've removed the gospel. That's what he said in Galatians 1. He said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to what? A different gospel. That whole first chapter, he, he sets it out and says, no, you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Then he goes a step further and says, but if you're preaching a different gospel, you should, you should go to hell is what he's saying. You should be accursed. And so now he's coming back to that, that there, there's no, they don't want any persecution because, so they're not going to preach the gospel. Because the problem then happens when you see this false religion is they can't live up to it. We can't live up to these standards if we're just focusing on outward expression because eventually we're going to fail. We're going to fail. That's, that's what he shows us. He says that, no, even those that are circumcised can't fulfill the law. He's saying, look at all of these people over here. They're telling you to do these external things, but they can't even do it themselves. You can't fulfill the law because we're all sinners. So we can't focus. True religion doesn't focus on these external things. What are you doing with your life? Because we can't change our lives. Because that's an outward expression. And true change is what happens inside. We're all sinners. We're all incapable of breathing, breathing life back into our dead bodies. So that's what he says in Ephesians, that we're dead in our trespasses. It's not that we're, we're kind of living. We're, we're dead. And it takes the, a supernatural act of God to bring death to life. And so we can't do this by just simply living our lives. He's saying you can't, the outward expressions do not produce a change. It's only an internal change that's truly gospel-centered. And what happens is because when we see that, when it's an internal change, there's less, at first, there's less, less evidence for us to boast about, right? When you first start seeing that change, it, it hasn't necessarily gone to an outward expression of an internal change, and so there's nothing really to boast on. But what do we want to do? We want to show that we're proud, right? We, look what I did. I always joke that I always send pictures 
to my friends when we're like grilling out or something like that, and I think I've done a good job. I'm like, look what I'm getting, right? We, we just want to boast in everything we do. And that was, that's what happens then in, in religion as well. We want to boast in our own worship by look what we're doing. But we've forgotten that it's an inward change that propels that. It made me think of the movie Castaway. So I found a picture when he made the fire. I don't know if you remember the movie. He's like, you know, behold, look what I've created. And he's all this fire. That's what we do, right? Every time we set something up, if we accomplish something, we want to let the world know. And now we literally can. We can put everything out there. What Paul's saying here is that the change that we should be boasting in is an inward change. Not this outward expression. It doesn't matter where we are socially. But we get hung up on that, don't we? We get hung up on a social status. Where, where are we in the community, especially in smaller towns? Who are we? Who, do we? who do we talk to? Who do we associate with? Maybe it's your job. The, do, do you boast in, in who you are because of the job that you're able to do? Because you do something better than other people can. There's relationship status. That, that you're not, that, you, that you, you boast in yourself only when you're in a certain type of relationship. Or when that relationship is going good. Because all of those things are centered on an external expression, but they avoid the internal change that the gospel necessitates. If the change isn't eternal, then eventually you're going to get found out. You can all probably think of someone that's had this amazing experience, and they had all the right external signs, and then what happens? They slowly fade away again. Because there wasn't an internal change. True religion is not behavior modification. It's an internal regeneration. It only happens through the gospel. It only happens in the working of the Holy Spirit. It's this inward change. And so what we do then is we need to focus on the gospel. This message that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, yet made alive in Christ, that we're clothed in His righteousness, that He bore our sin so that we could be seen as having none. That's the message of gospel, and that's what we focus on. And if the gospel isn't everything that you've dreamed of, if it doesn't fulfill everything you've ever dreamed of on one side, or if it isn't completely offensive to you on the other side, then you haven't really understood the gospel. Because there's one side or the other. Because it's either everything, or it's completely offensive because it shows you who you truly are. And when we see who we truly are, that we're offended by it. And that's what he's saying here is that they want to boast in your flesh so they're not persecuted. They want to look at these outward expressions instead of the internal change. Because when we start focusing on the gospel and seeing who we really are and then proclaiming that message and, and showing people who they really are sin, then they don't really like that. And then persecution comes. False religion points us to ourselves or the outward expression, and by doing so, it loses the magnitude of the cross. Because when we focus on ourselves, there's no room for Christ. But the heart of true religion, religion is this inward change, this change in our hearts. That's what John Stott reminds us of. He says the essence is the inward. The essence of Christianity, true religion, is inward. Because the outward forms are valueless if the inward reality is lacking. And that should be a huge 
wake-up call for a lot of us in the church that, that it doesn't matter what we're doing. We can go and feed the homeless. We can do all of these things, but if the inward reality is lacking, then the outward's for nothing. It's a false sense of hope because we haven't been changed on the inside. If we're not changed on the inside, then we're truly not living for Him. We're living for ourselves so that we can show what we do so that we can sleep at night and feel better at what we do. That's, that's a backwards version. And if we forget the gospel, we'll go back into that. Because our natural tendency is to point towards ourselves. Look what we did. Look at, and it doesn't have to be a worldly thing. It could be a, a religious thing. Look, look at how many times I've had my quiet time. Or look at how many times I've done this. Or look at the, the Bible studies that I go to. Look at all these things that I do. And, at the, and when you look at it, it's all these outward expressions because you're forgetting the internal change. And if we're truly centered on the gospel, it starts with an internal change that's fueled by the action of the Spirit in our lives. And that leads us to the next type of change. The next step is it's a divine change. It's not a change that we can happen in ourselves. Look at, look at verse 14. This is a, this is a verse that, that you should underline, that you should remember, and we should always go back to it. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Right there, we see everything about the book of Galatians. That one verse, he sums up everything, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross. And what happens is, is, is that seems weird to us. Like, those are those weird Christians that that's all they ever talk about, right? They never really do that. All they talk about is that, right? That's the Bible thumpers. That's for those people. Well, that's for Christians. If we're not boasting in the cross of Christ, then we're truly not understanding what it means to us. But the reason we don't boast in it is because it's offensive. That's why we say the gospel's bad news before it's good news. Because it says your sinner's dead and there's nothing you can do about it. That's why it's so easy for so many people to fall in these false religions that in, in a false sense of worship because it offers an easy experience. That's why it's called a feel-good message because it lacks the gospel. The gospel is not a feel-good message. It's a saving message. But it's not certainly feel-good to start with. We need to understand that. Pastor Tim Keller says that we can only grasp the sweetness of the gospel if we first grapple with its offense. But if we don't truly understand the offense of the gospel, we're not going to truly understand the sweetness of it. And so if we have these external expressions instead of an internal change, if we think that we can change ourselves instead of it being a divine change, then we're not truly understanding the sweetness of the gospel. We're, we're trading it for a, a mere substitute. That's nothing. We need to understand that. And, and what happens then is when we truly start looking at the cross, then we see that it's offensive, like we've said. But what happens then is we like to compartmentalize. Well, there's certain people, but the offense of the cross, it, it, it gets everyone. Liberal-minded people are offended by the cross because it's intolerant, right? Well, it, 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 it's, it's intolerant. The gospel can't be that great because it doesn't accept people for who they are. 
And what happens then is those of us who tend to be in a typically conservative area say, look at those people. They don't understand it. But at the same time, to the conservative-minded person, the gospel is offensive because it says that those bad people are just like you. That those bad people and the good people are equal. And that's offensive to someone that's conservative-minded. Wait a second. There's no way they're equal with me. But that's what the gospel says. But that's offensive to us. It's offensive. And so what we need to understand is we have to grapple with that. We have to understand the offense of the gospel if we're ever going to understand the sweetness of it, that yes, we are equal. But we're not left in that because we're redeemed by Christ. But if we don't understand the offense of it, then we don't truly understand the gospel. If it doesn't make us look at ourselves and understand ourselves in a different way, if it doesn't make us lower ourselves down, then we're truly not listening to the gospel. But the gospel reveals that everyone is equal and that everyone is equal because in Christ we're all new creations. That's where the good comes in. It says, no, you're all equal. No, you're all the same. You're all sinners. But we're also all new creations in Christ. There's also nothing that you have to do to get yourself ready. Lazarus wasn't in the tomb getting himself ready to walk out. He was dead, and so are we. And when we hear the call of our Savior, we respond. We're no longer motivated by these selfish external demands of the world because the world is dead to us. So he says in verse 14, Because of the cross, the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. We gaze upon the cross, everything else fades into the background. Everything fades into the background. And what, when I was looking at this, it made me think of a movie. Sorry, I guess I'm on a movie. It was on a movie kick when I was going through this. But if you ever seen the movie For Love of the Game, it was a baseball game, the pitcher on there. And right before he was thinking, the whole story was him thinking through the game and all that. But, but right before he would get ready to pitch, he would focus. He'd say, clear the mechanism. And then the cinematic effects, everything else would blur into the background. I found a picture because you want to see a picture. See everything in the behind him kind of blurred out. Sorry, it's weird looking at Kevin Costner like that, but sorry. Look at the background, not him. But everything's faded out. And so what he was doing is he was focusing all of his attention on this. This one thing, this one thing that I have to do. And that's the exact same thing that happens when we realize that the change that we need to have isn't caused by us, but it's a divine change. Because when we look at the cross, it changes our motivations. It changes everything about us. Because we see that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither the external expression means anything, or the internal change if it's not rooted in the gospel, in the new creation is all that matters. That's what he says in verse 15. He says, no, nothing else matters but if you're created new in Christ. And if we're created new in Christ, we're new creations. We have new motivations. We have new desires. Why? Because the world's no longer anything to us. It doesn't mean that we're taken out of this. It just means our motivations are changed. The world no longer has a sway with us because we've seen and tasted something greater. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter if we're good or bad, rich or poor, healthy or sick, educated, uneducated, single, married. It doesn't matter because there's no distinction. We're all new creations in Christ. 
If we're truly new creations in Christ, then our motivations are changed. We're not, we're not tempted by these selfish desires to look what I'm doing. We're fueled by this divine inward change that then causes an external expression, but that's the result of an inward change. It's not the cause of that inward change. How we worship still matters. How we live our lives still matters, but we can't forget that the motivation comes from the gospel. We replace the worldly motivations that we have with the cross, and our motivations change. The reason our motivations change is because of grace. Grace is the motivating force in a Christian's life, both in our lifestyle and our worship. And only when we truly look at the gospel do we truly see what grace is. Because grace shows us that we deserve nothing, yet we've been given everything. And when you truly experience that, it frees you, and it makes you want to go towards that. And so when we see the grace of God, it motivates us to live for Him. Because we've been getting everything that we don't deserve. Everything that we don't deserve. And when we see that we've been getting everything, our motivations for how we live our lives, for how we worship, are changed. Because they're focused on Him. Not on ourselves. Not on the things of the world. We're focused on something that transcends everything. And so when we see that, we see that it's truly a unifying change. It's truly a unifying change. As he starts his true benediction of this letter, he says, For all of those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. What we need to understand there is in, in verse 16, Paul's not talking about two different people. He's not talking about the ones that follow this rule and the Israel of God. He's not ta- that's one person. That's one group of people. What he's saying here is that if you follow the rule of God, if you walk by these rules, you are part of the Israel of God. You're God's chosen people. Those who walk by this rule, this rule being Scripture, you're God's chosen people. And peace and mercy are upon you. But if we don't walk by that rule, then peace and mercy, they're not with us because we're not chosen by God. And we're left to the things of the world. If we walk by God's rule, then we're His people. And if we're in Christ and we're walking by this rule, then we're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And once in Christ, we're directly connected to everyone that's gone before us. It's a unifying change because it says, no, you're all the same. We still see diversity, but we don't categorize ourselves by it. We see it as an expression of a creative God. We're all united in one body through Christ our Lord for better or worse that's why when you saw this last week of the Egyptian Christians that were martyred if it didn't have a direct effect on you then you don't understand the gospel I had a picture of the video that's our body standing there you see that we're all united through this change And it's not something that happens on the other side of the world. When you stand for the gospel, persecution happens. And we're blessed and we're sheltered from a lot of that. But the entire body's not. And so when we see actions like this, we see that we're unified with them. This is a persecution that's unique to Christians. 
Because when we see this, we realize that we're part of the same body. But we also see that this world doesn't matter because we are new creations and we're made for something more. It's a unifying change that we see. We have a rule to live by. And it doesn't say, do the certain things in your life and, and make yourself better. It says, no, you're redeemed in Christ. You're a new creation. That's when we're truly centered on the gospel. True religion loves, honors, and cherishes the word of God. Because in the word of God, we see the rule to live by. And false religion is marked by this opportunity that it uses this rule for its own good. It uses it when it feels good and it, and it just looks at it and says, well, I can take this and make ourselves feel better. But only if we truly live by the rule of God we have peace and mercy. And you say, well, the people that were those Egyptian Christians, how is that peace and mercy? Because they're experiencing it. Because we're created for something else. The gospel points us to an eternity with the Father because it says you can come to the Father because I've called you, I've adopted you in my family through the sacrifice of my Son. It's critical that we understand that. That if we live by this rule, if we truly are inwardly changed by divine action of the Holy Spirit, then it's unifying all of us. We see that one day we'll be glorified. One day that will be complete. And that's what we live for. We don't live for the things of the world. Our motivations aren't here anymore because in Christ, the world's been crucified to us and I to the world. That's what the church should be marked by. And we must understand that. that this is a, that's a normal mindset for a gospel-centered Christian is to look beyond this world, not to separate ourselves from it, but to understand that we get nothing from it because it can't offer anything greater than what we've experienced in Christ. So do you live your life that way? Could, could verse 17 be a description of you? From now let no one cause me trouble Why? because I bear on my body the marks of Christ. He's not being figurative. He literally had the scars to prove that he was following the gospel. Could that be descriptive of you? Now, granted, we're not getting stoned for our faith, but do you bear the marks of of Christ because of the way you live your life? Because you live it for the gospel? Because if you simply just blend in with other people that just think we've got to do all the right things, then you're really not living by the gospel. And if you're not living by the gospel, you have to ask yourself, do you really even understand it? Is it truly the motivating force in your life, the gospel, that tells us that you had nothing, but you've gained everything? Because if it, there's not a difference in our life, if we're not seeing the scars and wounds that come by following Christ, then we're really not following Him. And it's not an easy task. But we don't have to do it on our own. That's what's so great about the Spirit in our lives because it allows us to live the life like we are. And so everywhere that we go, whatever we do, where we go to work, who we associate with, we can truly live for Him. We, want, we, we completely throw out these external expressions 
We don't judge people by actions that they have because we weren't judged by those actions. We don't say you can and can't do this until it goes against the gospel. We don't say you need to fix yourself before you come to us because that's not what God required of us, so we can't require that of those. It's grace that was extended to us, so grace is what we should extend to the point where it's still within the gospel because it still matters how we live. It still matters how we worship. And that's what he ends the letter with. He says what? To the grace and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And brothers, we're family. He says grace be with your spirit. It's grace that motivates us. It's grace that motivates us. It's not this abstract idea. It's what motivates our lives. And it's what he's been calling the Galatians back to the entire time. It's what we've been calling you back to the entire time, to be centered on the gospel. Because the gospel then changes us to that. We're unified in Christ. We're changed through Christ. And it's an inward change. It's not merely changing the way you live your life. Your life will change. But it's a result not a cause. So we got to go back to grace because we're, we begin by grace when we hear the gospel call. And we're sustained by grace because in grace we see that, that our motives are changed because of the gospel. That's when we truly live our lives centered on the gospel because we realize that it's a different path along the same path. That's why the gospel is the great equalizer, not because it draws everyone to the middle, because it truly frees us to live our lives because we know that our identity comes from something else. Our identity comes from the one thing that is sustainable in this world, the one who created it. So we begin by grace, we're sustained by grace, and that's what we need to see through this book that Paul gives us, that we need to be centered on that. And when we're truly centered on that, our lives will completely change. And people then will be drawn to that change. Why? Because you still live your life. But there's different motivations. And they've never understood those motivations. And so they're drawn to that. And when they're drawn to that, we preach the gospel. And at first, when we preach that gospel, it's offensive to people. So you're saying you're better than me? No. You're saying I was just like you. But through grace, I've been saved. And so, through grace, you can be saved if you submit yourself to the Creator. Let's pray.